You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. with me to Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to kind of do a part two uh, from last week. We kind of left uh, Peter uh, as he was uh, in Joppa. Uh, Peter had some guests visit him. And if you'll turn to Acts chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 24. If you remember uh, last week, Peter had a vision and that vision uh, had as its sole purpose to deal with something inside Peter's heart. And inside Peter's heart was some prejudice. That prejudice, uh, he had been raised uh, to kind of grasp and adhere to, and that was that the Jewish nation, uh, those who had been set apart by God, uh, not only were they, were they a special nation unto God, but they were on a higher plane, on a higher level, or of more value to God than, than the Gentiles, those who were non-Jews. So, so Peter had been raised with that premise in his heart, and Jesus had clearly told the disciples that the gospel, the kingdom, was going to go to all nations. Now, that was not an abstract principle uh, for the Jewish people because that was taught in the Old Testament. We're going to go back and look at that today because I don't want you to, I don't want you to just take my word for that. I want you to see how the nation of Israel was not just set apart to themselves, uh, as a as a country club, as a a group of people with special privilege, although they they had a lot of special privileges in God's kingdom, but they were set apart for the whole purpose of being a a priesthood back to the rest of the nations, so that they would see that there truly is one true God, and that He that He loves, and that He's filled with grace and mercy, and that He is worthy of worship. You know, this is one of the things that that really stressed the religious leaders out when Jesus began to minister. We don't have time to go back and look, but I'll make reference of, of one particular part in Luke 15. You don't have to turn there, but Luke 15 is, is a text that, that probably many of you recognize because that's where we get the, the parable of the prodigal son. And we also get uh, some other teaching there from Jesus about things that have been lost that, that we must go out and seek and find. And if there's a verse there, um, Luke chapter 15, and I think it's verse 2, where there is some tension between Jesus and the Pharisees who were Jewish religious leaders of the day. And, and they had been teaching for all of their many, many years that it was by keeping the law that you, that you were right with God. And Jesus begins his ministry in Luke 4, and he, he goes into a, to a synagogue, and he begins to teach from Isaiah 66, which is a, a prophecy about the ministry of Messiah, and that Messiah will set captives free, and that he will heal the blinded, and that he will, he will restore and heal and bring comfort. Well, in Luke 15, as many times that we find in other places in the Gospels, it says that that the Pharisees were upset that, that Jesus was having meals with sinners and tax collectors. Now, that word sinners uh, can refer to a lot of things, but what it really mainly referred to, when the, especially when the Pharisees used it in that context, was people who were less than them. 
And that prejudice comes out over and over again as Jesus would, would seem to be focused on, on reaching people that the kingdom of Israel had deemed as less than, as, as people not worthy of the kingdom of God. Simply because they were born as, uh, and as far as their heredity and, and their family and their family tree, they were born as true Jewish people and could trace their roots back to a specific tribe. All other people that they would often refer to as sinners, even Gentiles referred to as sinners, there was this presupposition or this idea that, that they had that those people were all on the outside of God's kingdom. And while Gentiles could certainly become Jews, they were never considered on the same level as those who were true Jews or could trace their heritage back to the tribes of, of Israel. So over and over again, we see Jesus and his disciples having meals with people who were considered less than, and more than likely there were Gentiles as part of those meals. And this absolutely infuriated the religious rulers in Judaism of the day. One thing I alluded to last week that I want to kind of come back to as we kind of get started today is that the, the importance of these meals together. You know, in our culture, we uh, up until recently, uh, when you would get off work, you kind of go home and your home kind of becomes your castle and you, uh, you go into your garage, you put the garage door down and you kind of close off and you spend time with your family and you have a meal, but you don't really think about anyone else. And it's kind of that castle mentality that we kind of all have. And it wasn't like that in, in Jesus's day or in the days of Peter and the New Testament church. Having meals together was a significant part of their life and their culture. And, and to go in someone's house and to have a meal together means that you, you've almost become part of their family. If you go overseas, if you go on a mission trip and you, you go to some places that even are, are very impoverished, you will find that as a visitor, as a guest, these things are still being practiced all over the world. You'll be invited into their home. They, they will provide the best that they've got because you are an honored guest. And it's just part of, of culture all around the world. And, and in Jesus's day, to have a meal with someone was very, very significant. So this becomes a real issue in the New Testament church because how is a, how is a Jewish person, even one who's come to faith in Christ, how can that person who was born into Judaism and followed it all their life, how are they going to be able to enter the home of a Gentile, which in their minds would make them unclean? How would they be able to have a meal with a Gentile who, who prepares their food differently, even eats different foods that, maybe even foods that, that Judaism and the law would prevent them from eating? How in the world is the gospel going to go forth from predominantly Jewish converts who've come to faith in Christ? How are they going to be able to get past these barriers to be able to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Well, Peter has a vision, and God says to Peter, Peter, look on this sheet that kind of descended out of heaven, and look at this sheet, and you see all these animals? Rise up and eat. Rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, not I. No way. Because there were animals on that sheet that were unclean based on what they saw in the law. And God said to Peter, Peter, don't ever call something something unclean that I've called clean. What God did in that moment was he destroyed a barrier that was in Peter's heart between himself and those who needed to hear the gospel, the good news. 
Peter was confronted with a prejudice that was down deep in his heart, a way that he had lived his life, his entire life. Now, it's not as though Jesus didn't confront that. Jesus confronted that over and over again. Every time they would have a meal together with tax collectors and sinners, Peter, no doubt, was confronted with this Messiah, this rabbi is different than any other teacher that we've ever been around. And they would get confronted about it over and over and over again. But I want you to notice what Peter does. And this is, this is important. Once Peter is confronted with this prejudice in his own heart, he, he, re, he rejects God's command for him three different times. The text says that this happened three times. But eventually, what I want you to see is eventually Peter surrenders his will to the will of God. And I think that is critical to this entire narrative that we see in the book of Acts, that, that Peter, although he initially rejected it and he had real trouble with this, he initially says, not me, Lord, but eventually he realizes. And I, I would say that it was a combination of what God was saying to him in that moment, the Holy Spirit that lived in him, and also what he remembered seeing Jesus do. What he remembered Jesus doing when they would have those meals and these people from all different backgrounds would gather together and he would teach them and love them. No doubt that was weighing hard upon his conscience. So Peter had a choice. He could either surrender and be obedient or he could walk away, be disobedient, know that he was out of the will of God. You see, once we, once we understand what what God is saying to us through his word and in our prayers, through maybe a sermon or, or what we read in the Bible, when we begin to understand what God is saying to us and God begins to bring conviction in our heart, then, then there must be a choice to surrender at that point. Because remember, God's plan for us is not for us just to become smarter, to, be, to have more knowledge about the Bible, but not have our lives changed by it. So just like with Peter, when Peter said, Lord, not I, he was saying, Lord, I know you're my king. I know you're, you're in control of my life, but, but I don't want to do this. You see, that doesn't work in the life of a disciple of Jesus. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, and certainly he is, then what is required for us is daily, maybe multiple times per day, surrendering to the will of the Father. You see, knowledge without obedience, uh, an experience uh, with God, but no follow through, Satisfied, just being satisfied with gaining more understanding, but never practicing what we're learning, never surrendering. That's not following Jesus. That's just getting smarter about the Bible. That, that's not truly worshiping Christ with every aspect of our life. That's simply having an experience and then looking for another experience and another experience, all the while we're gaining knowledge, but never putting that to work and never, never surrendering our life to what we're learning and understanding the will of God is for our life, and you can't have it both ways. What we're going to learn today is this, that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, must be obeyed and embodied. Obeyed and embodied. What do I mean by that? Well, Peter is going to have to make a trip to Caesarea, and he is going to enter a Gentile home for the first time ever. And for all of that to happen required him to surrender his will to the will of the Father. And that the gospel was, was Peter was embodying the gospel that, that Christ living in us, we are the embodiment, the incarnation of Christ to the world. Did you know that? That Jesus incarnated, took on flesh, but then after his resurrection, he ascended back to the Father. Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit living in us, that we are to embody the gospel 
to our communities. And you know what? It comes down to, is the Lord truly Lord of your life? Is, is, is he directing your life and you are in submission to that? So let's pick it up in verse 24. It says, the next day, Peter rose, went away with them. Who, who are them? Just to, just to recap, there, there were three men that showed up at Peter's dwelling in, in Joppa. Peter was staying, it's right on the coastline with, with Simon the Tanner. And, and after he has this vision, right at the end of that vision, all of a sudden there's somebody at the gate yelling, is Peter here? He comes down and finds three Gentiles. It was a soldier and two servants of Cornelius. Cornelius, under the direction of the spirit and a vision that Cornelius had had, said, send some people down to Joppa. Peter's down there and have Peter brought to your house so that you can then hear the gospel. So Peter responds to these men at the gate. And immediately he just goes with them. Now understand before this vision, before he had that vision that we talked about last week, it would have been, it would have been very difficult for Peter to relinquish control of his life and walk with these Gentiles all the way up to Caesarea and knowing all the while that when he gets to Caesarea, he's going to have to spend the night at Cornelius's house. Well, that probably includes a meal. So how is a Jewish convert to Christianity going to reach Gentiles with the gospel? How in the world are they going to be able to have a meal with them? Verse 24, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them. I wonder if Cornelius was out in front of his house every day looking for Peter and his servants to return. Verse 25, and when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and began to worship Peter. This, this man has been seeking God, and this man has been worshiping God. This man has been, the Bible says in the previous text, it says that he was, that he was giving generously to, to the things that God loves, but this man is lost. He's never been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God loves him to such a degree and loves you to such a degree, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that God will orchestrate opportunities for the gospel to come into your life. But what's interesting is here is that Cornelius is so excited, so excited that Peter is there, that he falls down at Peter's feet and begins to worship. Of course, Peter says, get up. You know, I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm not looking for worship. But we've got to understand that the reason Peter is here, and, and you've got, you got to get this, that, that Peter, as a formerly Jewish man who's now a follower of Christ, saw the resurrection of Christ, ate a meal with Jesus post-resurrection, this man's life has been changed. But there were still some things down in Peter's heart that needed to be dealt with. One of those was prejudice, and God is dealing with that. And how is God dealing with it? By throwing him into a Gentile culture, Caesarea, bringing him to a place where he's going to have to enter the home of a Gentile. And not only that, eat a meal with a Gentile. So God has put Peter in a set of circumstances where he is confronted with the reality that the gospel is not just reserved for the nation of Israel. What Jesus had told them and modeled for them, Peter now has to confront and deal with and be immersed in a situation that Previous to that vision, previous to what God has spoke to him, I'm not so sure Peter would have made this trip. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't have, but that vision that he had was instrumental. And for, for Peter to see that 
that the Gentiles, in fact, are somebody that God loves. That Jesus, in fact, died to rescue. And see, Peter's change of mind. See, in that moment when he has that vision, there's a, there's a change of mind that Peter has. And that God says, don't call something unclean that I've called clean. Don't put up a wall where I've torn it down. And, and Peter has a change of thinking, but that change of thinking has to be followed by a change of action. And here we find Peter, where? In Caesarea, the home of Cordelius. You see, repentance, that, that word that we use so often, it begins with a change of mind. And then that change of mind leads to a change of action. And that's exactly what we see Peter doing here. Peter's change of heart and change of mind. He says here, look at verse uh, look at verse 27, and he talked with them and he went in and found many persons gathered and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, Peter, to say that is, this gives evidence of the, of the change of mind and the change of heart that, that God brings about in the lives of his people if we will surrender to the work of God in us through the Holy Spirit. Peter says, I came without objection to a Gentile home, to a Gentile area, because God has shown me something. And as a result of what God has shown me, I've had a change of mind and I've had a change of action. And that is exactly what it means to repent, not just to have a, a change of mind, but a change of mind that changes our actions. I want to show you something in that what Peter's doing in this moment is what the nation of Israel was called to do. That the nation of Israel had been set apart not to themselves. Listen, the, the church of Jesus Christ has not been set apart through the gospel so that we close ourselves off and we become a country club where if you sign a piece of paper or you come for a few weeks, you get to be part of our country club. That's not what we've been called. And that's exactly what happened to Israel over many, many years. That's why God sent prophet after prophet. I want to show you how God had called the nation of Israel, even at the very beginning with Abraham, that they'd been called to be a nation of light to the other nations. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Now, we're going to do a little hop skip through the Old Testament here just to show you that what God intended for the nation of Israel did not come to fruition. Of course, God knew that all along. And he knew that Jesus Christ would come and he knew that Jesus would die for the sins. That was all set in the mind of the Godhead Trinity uh, in eternity past. But I want to show you through the Old Testament how that the nation of Israel was to be light to even the Gentiles. Genesis chapter 12, this is the great covenant with Abraham that God makes. And I just want to draw your attention to verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the, this is the beginning. This is the, the father of the nation of Israel. And God is speaking to him and saying, Abraham, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to send you to a land. And part of, part of the promise and part of what we're going to do and part of my purpose in setting you apart is that eventually a nation is going to come from you. And that nation's purpose is to be a blessing to all the families of the world. And of course, the greatest blessing to ever come out 
of Abraham is Jesus Christ the righteous. Turn over to Exodus 19. Exodus 19 is the precursor right before the Ten Commandments. And I want you to see what Moses hears from God right before those Ten Commandments are given. It's in Exodus 19, and I want to pick it up in verse 4. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is God speaking. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. In verse 6, here it is. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says to Moses and the people who've been delivered out of Egyptian bondage, you will be a nation of priests. Now, who do you think those priests are supposed to minister to? None other than the families of the world, regardless of ethnicity. Turn over to 1 Kings. I'll show you another place. This is really amazing. 1 Kings 8, this is Solomon dedicating the temple and all of its beauty and all of its glory. We often think of the temple, we immediately think of Judaism. But I want you to hear what Solomon says as he's dedicating the temple uh, and as he's praying and as he's worshiping, look in verse 41, 1 Kings 8, 41. Likewise, when a foreigner, a non-Jewish person who is not from your people Israel, comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house or the temple here in heaven, your dwelling place, do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. This is Solomon praying to God, and he says to God, when the foreigners of other nations, Gentiles, come, as I know that they will, because they're going to hear about your name, they're going to hear about your glory, then when they come here and pray to you, God, you hear them, and you answer them, and you speak to them just as you do to the nation of Israel. What an amazing, amazing thought. And finally, I want you to look at Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, this is the prophet Isaiah. By this point, the nation of Israel is beginning to turn inwardly. Uh, they're beginning to focus more on themselves. The prophets were sent to deal with this. Not only that, but they're turning towards idols. And Isaiah, the prophet says this in Isaiah 42, verse 6. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, and I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, and here it is, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison whom sit, whom, from those who sit in darkness. Go back to Acts. So what I want to show you is, is that, that Judaism had turned away from being the light to the nations that they had turned inwardly. They, they had turned away from the Gentiles and even, even looked at the Gentiles in such a way that they were, that they were less than, that they were somehow not privileged enough to even be part of the kingdom of God, that they, were not, that they were not born as Jewish people, and therefore they were on the outside looking in. And when Jesus comes and when he begins to minister to the broken and the outcast, when, when the New Testament church begins to move beyond the walls of Jerusalem, they begin to realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for some ethnic group. It is for the entire world, for all those who will believe, even Cornelius, a Gentile and a leader in the Roman army. Did you know we've been called to do exactly the same? The gospel of Jesus Christ 
that inside the New Testament church that we are never to be closed off. Yet we, we get to a place in our walk with Christ where we're, we're just satisfied with another worship song on the radio or a, another good sermon or bad sermon or whatever sermon in between or another devotional that we read that morning. Did you know that the devotionals that you read each day and God's word that you're immersing yourself in has its intent to change your heart? That the Holy Spirit brought you to that text? That the text that you're reading, the text that you read this morning, the text that you read yesterday is meant to make a change in you that your light may shine to a dark world that needs hope? Notice what happens here. Notice what Cornelius says in verse 30. It says, and Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. So Cornelius begins to talk about a vision that he had that prompted him to bring Peter all the way up to Caesarea. He says that there was an angel, a man who's, who's in bright array, is standing before him and, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alls have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. He says, so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been committed or commanded by the Lord. So not only has Cornelius had this vision, but, but he's gathered his family together, his servants together. He's even got some neighbors in the house, and they are all waiting to hear from Peter. And I've got a question at this point. I've got a question, and maybe, maybe you thought it is, maybe you hadn't, but it just, it just really brought to bear on my heart and my mind the, the intentionality that we're called to with the gospel. So here, here Cornelius is, a man who's been seeking after God, He's, he's been praying, he's been giving, but he, he's not a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and God sees fit to see an, send an angel to Cornelius to have a vision. Now, here's the question. If, if, if Cornelius is going to have a vision, why didn't that vision, why didn't that angel just say, hey, Cornelius, bring everybody together, and, and I'm going to present the gospel, and, and we're going to see a revival happen here in Caesarea? I mean, isn't that what a lot of people are looking for? Maybe that's what you're looking for. You, you've been looking for some kind of proof of God. You've been looking for a miracle. You've been looking for a, a statue that's crying or, a, or, or some great prophet somewhere in the world who, who seems to be able to heal people. And you've been traveling and you've been looking and you've been seeking Google for some kind of apparition, some miraculous move so that then you can put your faith in God. Maybe that's the one thing you've been waiting for all this time is for some miraculous event. But notice in this moment, when, when God could have sent an angel to say to all the people in Cornelius' house, now here's the gospel, here's what you need to do. What does the angel say? The angel says to Cornelius, find Peter. Why is that? I mean, wouldn't there have been an incredible miracle here if, if the angel would have just said, hey, Cornelius, bring all your neighbors together. I'm going to have a sermon for you. An angel. Wouldn't, if people, wouldn't people have responded like crazy to that? Yeah, but what would they have been responding to? Would they have been responding to this miraculous angel or would they have really responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And remember, the gospel, as I said at the beginning, must be embodied. That's why, that's why Christ, in his final words to the church, said, go make disciples. 
He didn't say go and wait for more visions and more miracles. He said to the apostles and to those who heard him, go make disciples because Jesus lives in the church and the church is to go represent him in the community. That is God's plan and I know of no other plan for the world and for Robinson County and for wherever you're watching this morning. There is no other plan for transformation because that transformation happens in the heart. Remember, we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. Not looking for crying statues or some prophet who's written some book or some internet personality who seems to have all the right answers. We seek Christ. And how is Christ embodied to the world today? Through every believer who's been transformed by him. It's incredible what God's doing here because not only is the gospel going to be embodied and Cornelius and his family are going to have a chance to respond. But Peter is being taught something in this whole process. That every time I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, whether it's one-on-one or one-on-many, I learn something. I learned something about the kingdom. I learned something about God. It, 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 it does a work inside of me just as much as the work that it's doing in the other person. And I want you to also see that God is in working in Cornelius's house. Peter is going to go to Cornelius's house and join the work that God is already doing. Have we not seen that over and over and over again in the book of Acts? So here's Peter. I'm, I'm imagining that he's a little caught off guard by all the people there. But look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And thank God for that. In other words, God does not discriminate. God doesn't look at you and say, okay, you got to get your life straightened out. And when you get your life straightened out, then you can come and maybe at that point I'll consider extending grace to you. God God shows no partiality, meaning he does not care what your skin color is. He does not care how much money you have or do not have. He does not care if you've got three PhDs or you don't even have a high school education. God shows no discrimination and neither should the church who's been set apart by him. So it does not matter where you've been or who you are that God says to you, my grace is sufficient for whatever you've done and for whoever you are. God welcomes all to the cross of Jesus Christ to have their sins forgiven and their life changed. Peter says, I understand that God shows no partiality. He didn't understand that earlier, but he does now. He says, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Now, I've got to deal with a theological problem here. It's a theological kind of a paradox, and some some churches and teachers and speakers and writers have taken this text and used it as a proof text to teach something that is completely heretical, and here it is. Peter is not saying here that if a person somewhere in, in in a jungle or in a desert somewhere, if they will just worship God and call God whatever they think God is, whether God's a rock or a tree or a river or the ocean, that if they'll somehow just call out to that God and, and show some, some, uh, some adherence to that God, that, that they'll all be accepted, that somehow at the end, all people are going to be welcomed into the kingdom, even if they even had no concept of God and never heard the gospel, that somehow in the end, everybody's going to make it in. That the gospel is not actually required at all. That is not what Peter is saying. It's called universalism. It is. It means that 
that God and all of his love and all of his grace could never condemn someone to a place of torment. And, and that Peter is saying here that because Cornelius has been seeking God, that the God then accepts him. Well, if that's the case, then Peter wasn't needed at all. As a matter of fact, if, if Cornelius, simply by seeking God, has come into the kingdom, it would have been better for Peter to never go to Cornelius' house because Cornelius, from their viewpoint, was already a God follower, was already okay with God. Well, if that's the case, and Peter doesn't need to say another word. Folks, here's what you've got to understand. The Bible nowhere teaches that there are multiple ways into the kingdom that you can call out to whatever God or whatever tree or whatever sun or whatever moon, worship the stars. There is nowhere in Scripture that it says that all paths lead to God. There is only one path that leads to the kingdom, and it is through Jesus Christ. And you may be saying, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Well, that's what Bible teaches. There aren't multiple ways. There, in fact, is only one way, and that is why Peter is at the house of Cornelius. He says, what he's actually saying is, is that Cornelius has been seeking God and God has poured his grace out and led someone who embodies the gospel to Cornelius' house. I got a story about that. Pastor that I used to serve with in, in Wilkes, um, that I, that I began serving out with, with his name is uh, Daryl Tate, great influence. You've heard me speak about him before. And our church did a, a mission trip to Cambodia. And, um, Pastor Darrell knew it was going to be a hard trip, and uh, he, he was a little bit apprehensive about going on that trip, if I remember correctly, and we talked about it, and he decided he was going to go, and uh, it was going to be a long trip, too. They were going to be there, I think it was two weeks. It was going to be pretty hard as far as what they were going to eat, and the trip was going to be difficult, but he, he made the commitment to go with the team. I can't remember what the team size was. I think maybe 10 or 12 people went. And they were going to be working in an area where there were Vietnamese refugees, but in Cambodia, and these Vietnamese refugees uh, in Cambodia were not allowed to own property in Cambodia because of politics and the war and everything else that had gone on there. So these people were living in floating villages on this humongous lake. Now, I may have some of the details wrong, but I think I've got this right. They were living in these huts on top of a lake and because they were not allowed to own property. And the team makes their way into this village and... Um, Daryl, he's, he's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, pretty big guy. And there was an opportunity to go into a hut that was floating on the water to share the gospel with a man who was very sick. So, so Daryl walks out and walks out on these little wooden pathways that lead out into the water. And there's a house floating on the water. When, when, when Daryl and the team were out there, the house kind of began to sink in the water a little bit because of their weight. And there's a man there who uh, is, is very, very, very sick. And it's obvious he's not going to live long. He could still talk. His eyes were open. And through the interpreter, um, Daryl began to talk about Jesus and share the gospel. What's incredible about this man, I think he was maybe in his 50s, early 60s. This man said something that not only Daryl never forgot, that I've never forgot, and that that man had been seeking God his entire life. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know, he didn't know, he just knew that there was a creator. He knew that there had to be more than a rock or a stone or a tree to bow down to. And this man had been seeking God and God placed it on the heart of a team in, in, in North Carolina to make the trip all the way to Cambodia, walk into this man's village, walk into this man's hut to share the gospel with him because he, his whole life had been wanting to know this God. 
And of course, he accepted Jesus, and it wasn't long after that that he passed away. Now, you may think, well, that's all coincidence. No, that's the providence of God. The providence of God working in the circumstances to bring the gospel to a man who'd been seeking it. So Peter is saying here that he's at Cornelius' house by the providence of God, that God's been working both in Cornelius' heart and in Peter's heart to bring them together, not only to see Cornelius and his family come to faith in Christ, but to also show how the church, the gospel, is meant for all people. Notice what happens. As for the word that he sent to Israel, he, Peter goes through some of the history of Israel. He then talks about Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 39, and we are all witnesses of what he both did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter says, I witnessed it. I was there. I was there when Jesus was crucified, when he was arrested in Gethsemane, when he was put on a cross, and I was there when he resurrected. I'm a witness to all of that. Verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people, but to us, but to me. I saw him. I ate with him. Those witnesses that have been chosen by God. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness. Look at that. Peter says all the Old Testament prophets point to Jesus, bear witness of him. And whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So what happens here? Somewhere as Peter is preaching, the folks in that room put their faith in Jesus Christ. As Peter is saying, if you will believe in Jesus, and in that belief and putting their faith in Jesus is also the concept of repentance, even though he doesn't mention it. The idea that you're going to let go of all other ideas about who God is, and you're going to put your faith in Jesus, who is God in the flesh. You're going to relinquish the rights to your life. You're going to believe in Jesus. You're going to turn towards him. You're going to, you're going to surrender your life to him. And that happens as Peter is preaching. As he is speaking, the Holy Spirit falls, which indicates that they put their faith in Jesus. And that was the whole point of this entire journey. Jesus had told Peter in Matthew 16 that Peter would have the keys of the kingdom. And notice how Peter has been at three major events, the Pentecost, the falling of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, in Acts 1 and 2. We see him again going down to Samaria as the Samaritans now put their faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls on them. Peter was there. And now at Acts 10, as the gospel goes to the Gentiles and they put their faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. You see, God is no respecter of persons. He loves you just as much as he loves me. He doesn't love me more because I've been called to the pastorate. He loves us both the same. It does not matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your failures are. God loves you because he's no respecter of persons. And if God can orchestrate all of these events to have Cornelius and his family put their faith in Jesus, what is God doing in your life to bring you to faith in him? Is it a sermon? Is it something you read, something you heard on the radio? That is God working and drawing you to a place of surrender. Disciples of Christ, let me ask you something. Have you turned inwardly? Have you, have you turned the gospel into something about you 
rather than something we're to give away? Has your faith with Christ and your journey with Christ been turned into something that has just been turned into your home, inwardly to you, but it's never being given out to anyone else? Israel did that, and they failed in the mission that God given them. Let's not follow their example. Let's follow the example of Jesus Christ. Let's follow the example of the early church that truly believed that God's grace is not just for one group of people, it's for all. And they embodied that, embodied the gospel and took it to the nations. Father in heaven, as we sing this last song, may you move upon the hearts of your people wherever they are today. And that we would, as disciples, embody the gospel. But Father, we would also realize that if there's any prejudice down in our hearts for any group of people, that you would bring that to the surface, we would repent of it, have a change of thinking and a change of action based on the truth of your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.